You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for August 2010. Today's episode is titled, Spiritual Food. It is a given that people must eat physical food to live. There is no debate about this reality. It is a maxim. To live well in God's universe, it is a maxim that man must have both physical and spiritual food. Here's your business tip. Live like Jesus, who always sought to do the will of God according to the ways of God. When your organization is committed to discerning and doing the will of God according to the ways of God, then you may find that some of your physical needs will be met in ways that cannot be explained by physical cause and effect. And now, here's Dr. Chester with the message titled, Living Food. Well, would you guys like life today? Would, uh, would you like some living bread? Bread that will just satisfy you no matter what's going on, it will satisfy you? Well, you know, Jesus feasted on living bread. Food that we could not explain in the natural. So would it be good to learn about how he did that and maybe how we can do that ourselves? Y'all like to do that? Okay. You sure? I'm not very convinced. This doesn't sound like a very convincing audience here. Let me know you really want this food. All right. Very good. All right. Okay. Well, let's jump into this. Let's turn to uh, John chapter 4, a text that you're all familiar with. And I'm really going to focus on one verse. I'm going to focus on verse 34, but I'm going to read the first 33 verses as, as an introduction. And don't worry, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the first 33 verses. I'm, I'm just going to make a few comments here and there, and we'll focus our time on verse 34. Now, it helps me when I read Scripture to look at maps to get a sense of where the geography is, where things are happening. Does that help you? Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I've got a map up here for you. I don't know how well you can read it, and I found out in the first service that my pointer doesn't work on that screen, and I have forgot uh, that's a technology issue, uh, so I can't point up there like I'd like to, but I do have little circles. Uh, that shows you where Jesus is starting here, okay, and it shows you where he's trying to go. He started in Jerusalem, and he wants to go to Galilee, and on the way, he gets waylaid in a little town called Sychar in Samaria. So let's start here in John chapter 4. Verse 1, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. You know how rumors are. They're not always accurate. Okay. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, I would, I would conjecture here that the reason he did this is that Jesus was always tuned in to the timing of the Lord. And if you have jealous people, particularly jealous religious people, it could be dangerous. And his time was not now. So he, he was getting out of Dodge while he could. Now, he had, he had to go through Samaria. And uh, so he came to a town in Samaria uh, called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his sons Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour would be about noon. And it appears, just looking at this map, they probably traveled roughly from daybreak to noon, probably 20 to 25 miles. Uh, and I think you would be tired. I would be tired, I know. And he's not only tired, he's thirsty and hungry. So he's, he's in a great position to carry out the ministry, isn't he? Tired, thirsty, and hungry. Well, let's just see what happens. <clears throat> 
First of all, you have to understand the, uh, the well he comes to. It's a BYOB well. This is bring your own bucket. Okay, so uh, there's no, bu- no community bucket there. So you got this well and there's water there, but he can't get to it. And he's tired, hungry, and thirsty. So a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, a Samaritan is a, is a member of the reconstituted northern, uh, tri- northern nations of Israel. Remember, Israel had a civil war. You remember that? And they, had a, they divided up into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Well, the northern kingdom was less faithful than the southern kingdom, and so they went into captivity first. Remember why they went into captivity? Because of disobedience. Sin always has consequences. One of the great gifts that we have is Christ. He took the consequences for our sin. Well, the Israelites were there as a picture for us of the reality of Christ. And so God was showing us through the nation of Israel something about how he works. And the way he works is when you sin, there are consequences. So now we, in the New Testament time, post-Christ, we have now the benefit of the reality of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. He paid the price. So now we walk in freedom from that consequence, ultimately. Well, the Old Testament is showing us what happened there. And the northern kingdom was more more rebellious than the southern. So they went into captivity first. And then the southern kingdom ultimately went into captivity. And, of course, God is a God of restoration. So when God restores Israel, he restores them with some Jews and also some Babylonians. They come back and restore the northern kingdom. So that became Samaria. And the Samaritans still were very uh, isolated and very segregated against by the Jews. So here's the conversation. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food at the local McDonald's. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. Now, that's very interesting because, you know, the Samaritans were Jews too. Okay. Because, and you'll see down, down later on, she identified as a Jew. But right now, she's not identifying as a Jew, saying, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink. Notice that Jesus is speaking out of his identity. See that? Who it is that gives you a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, that term living water, to her, meant something different from what it means to us. You see, to her, she understood there were two kinds of wells. Uh, there, were, there were wells that were drilled down, and they were called cisterns because the water was still. And then there were wells that were spring-fed. Okay, So you had moving water. Those were called living water wells. So whenever she... Uh, when she heard the word living water, she's immediately thinking, well, I can just, he's going to drop his own bucket, you know, it's a BYOB well, drop his own bucket down in the well and get me some water. But she doesn't see how it's going to happen because he didn't have a bucket. So she's a little confused here. You know, so if you knew that, so basically said, sir, the woman said, if you had nothing to draw with, with and the well is deep, how are you going to do this? Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater Then our father Jacob, you see our father Jacob, she just identified herself as a Jew there. Okay. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? So this conversation is getting a little convoluted here. She's getting confused because he's talking about giving her living water. She's thinking it's from the well. It's not from the well, but she doesn't know that. So she doesn't know what to think of this. 
So they go on. Jesus answers and says this. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but everyone who drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Okay, now that wouldn't that get your attention if Jesus said that to you? Oh, what's going on here? And, of course, now here's a, a lady who's living in a Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, you need, you need a little background here. In the Roman Empire, women had no rights. Okay? They were second-class citizens. They had no rights at all. So they were pretty much relegated to being servants. And in the Roman Empire, the citizens didn't work. The people that did the work were the slaves and the women. And so clearly she is there on assignment sent out by her household to get water. And I have no idea how far that well is, but obviously it was some distance. And have you ever carried a a bucket of water? Anybody carried a bucket of water or a jar of water? How about, you know, the jars on your head? You've seen those? That's, That's pretty heavy. It's not an easy task. So clearly she would like to get rid of this task. So she said, oh, wait a minute. Is there a way for me not to get thirsty again? Is there a way for me not to have to come back to this well again? She's getting interested here. You see, she's still not getting it. She says, sir, give me the water so that I won't get thirsty. Won't, won't have to come here and draw water anymore. He told her, go call your husband. You know, why, why does he change the topic? You know why he changes the topic? Because she doesn't get it. So we're trying another tack. Okay. She's, he says, go call your husband and come back. Well, she comes clean. I have no husband. Jesus says, I know that. Fact is, you've had five husbands, and right now you're cohabiting. I know that. Huh. What you just said is true. You see, the problem here with this woman is very typical of all of us. She doesn't know how to see spiritual reality. You see? You see, for every one of us, there's a fundamental truth. And that truth is, in the beginning, God. Okay? In the beginning, God. There was nothing prior to in the beginning. God is the starting point for every one of us. We have all come from God. God is spirit, and we have been created as physical beings. So which is the more fundamental reality? Spiritual reality or physical reality? Spiritual reality. In fact, spiritual reality drives everything in your life. And so it was for this woman right here. But she didn't know it. In fact, she was like... uh, this lady here in my illustration here, and I'm going to give you an actual illustration. Anybody know what, what this is? Anybody know what this is? Who said that? Oh, we can't. You don't count. <laughs> who, 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 who knows what this is? All right, what is it? I heard somebody say I do. It's, it's a training device to train you to fly instruments when you, in your pilot training. Actually, these are, this is an old one. This is probably 25 years old. The new ones are, are much more compact. But these old ones, you know, you basically would lower the hood like this, and you see I can't see out of my peripheral vision. I'm blocked. All I can see is right in front of me. So you people over there could be making signs at me, and I wouldn't know it, you know. And, and see, that's, it's designed to train you to learn to fly an instrument. So it has a purpose. But it also illustrates something here today. This, this woman was living with a hood on, so she could not see spiritual reality. All she could see was, was physical reality. And this is the way most of us live, frankly. And you're going to see in a moment, the disciples have the same hood. 
Same problem. Okay? So she's sitting there trying to understand these words of spiritual life in terms of physical terms, and it's, it's not working well. So the woman said, I, I can see that you're a prophet. That is a very good conclusion. Yes. After you just after he's just read your mail and told you your history, yes, that's he's probably a prophet. Our fathers ever run into a prophet? You know, somebody if somebody asked me, uh, you know, how's your day going? And I said, well, I don't know. I haven't run into a prophet today. You know, you had that reality. Sometimes prophets can mess up your day. Okay, <clears throat> just a little fun here. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, this is one of those verily, verily, pay attention here. Woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Kind of reminds you of Acts 18, where Jesus was talking to the Athenians, and he's trying to find some way to begin to have a dialogue with them, and he finds this idol to this unknown God, and that was his starting point to have his dialogue with them. Well, that's kind of what's going on here is you guys don't know what you're doing. You're going through some ritual, some religious activities, thinking you're worshiping God. You don't have a clue what you're doing. He says, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, meaning that God's designated line for the Messiah, the one that would come and die for the sins of the world, was Jesus Christ, and he was of the lineage of Abraham. Salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers... You want to be a true worshiper? Okay. True worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's not a location. It's not a place. It is a heart attitude. It's a lifestyle. It's a worldview that we adopt to worship in spirit and truth. For they are the kinds of worshiper the Father seeks. That's what he wants. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, that is called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. You ever wondered if Jesus claimed to be the Messiah? Here it is. He claimed to be the Messiah. And this is what real worship is. It's worshiping in spirit and in truth. All right, let's keep going here. This is just the introduction here. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Now, there are several reasons, one of which is that because women were second-class citizens, men a lot of times didn't talk to women. But more importantly, she was a Samaritan. So, But no one asked her, what do you want? Or nobody turned to Jesus and said, why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, which is, that's a good, good symbol. Leaving the things of the natural, she's going after Jesus. And so the way she does that, she went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, is that true? That's not what he did. He just told her a little bit. Okay? So she either lied or hyperbole or we could call it rhetoric and it'd be okay. That's what politicians do, isn't it? If you lie as a politician, you call it rhetoric and it's okay. okay. So pick any one of those you want. I'm being gracious. I'm going to call it hyperbole. She's just being a little, uh, for, for effect, she's making this statement. Okay, they came out of the town 
and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, which means teacher, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. That's very interesting. Now, you see, the disciples have the problem of the woman. They have the hood on. Okay? All they can see is the natural. Okay? So they immediately said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Did somebody beat us here? You know, we've got McDonald's. Maybe somebody brought him Burger King. You know, how, what, what do you mean you have food to eat that we don't know anything about? Okay, so again, what we see here is even disciples of Jesus Christ can be blind to the spiritual reality that Jesus lives in. Y'all not getting this? The wheels should be turning big time here because this has got great application to us. Most of us live very, very much in the tangible world. We live looking at the tangible reality about us. You know, there was a couple in the first service that I prayed for, and he came up, and his business is all falling apart. I said, I don't understand it. I mean, everything I do just is not working. Well, what do you think is going on there? If God wants to communicate, sometimes he has to do some extreme things because we have the hood on. We can't see. So he does things like that. He shuts everything down to try to get our attention. You see, he loves us so much, he will not let us continue to live with a hood on. He's going to challenge the hood until we lift it off and we can see in the spiritual. Isn't that, isn't that loving God? That's what a loving God does. So our disciples had the same problem as the Samaritan woman, even though they were disciples. Okay, now we're down to what I want to talk about. How only took 20 minutes. That wasn't too bad. Okay. All right. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Now, I want you to say this with me. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, what in the world does that mean? Yeah, that's a good one. Keep going. What in the world does that mean? That's right. Well, let's just talk a little bit about it. We're going to break it down into four key elements. Okay, The first element is the sent. Who sent Jesus? Those of you who are here at first service, you can't talk now. Who sent Jesus? Father. He came from heaven where we know the Father is. For I've come down from heaven. He's come from the Father. So why was Jesus sent? What was the father trying to do here? Well, continue on in that same verse in John 6. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now, we read that, and we've probably all read that many, many times, and we really haven't thought a whole lot about that. But what is that saying? What does that mean? I have come down to do the will of God. What is that all about? Well, let me just give you some Two little examples of how this worked, of how he was consumed with the will of God. Number one, he says in John five nineteen, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. He only does what he sees the father doing. 
So the father gives him revelation to see something. And then the son follows the father. Okay. Now, how many of us live that way? Yeah. That's, well, that's, I think it's honest. Most of us don't have a clue how to live that way. How do we discern what the father's doing and go line up with what he's doing? That's a challenge. We're going to talk about that in a second. Or right, what's the second thing? Second element that talks about the will of God. And this, this may offend you here. So if you get offended, you can take it up with the Apostle John when you get to heaven. This is John 12, verse 49. And I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. Wow. The words that came out of his mouth were directed by the Father. The actions of this man, every step was directed by the Father. There's a pretty tight relationship here, wouldn't you say? Pretty intimate relationship. This is, this is the level that Jesus lived at. And hopefully we can all see. I can tell you for me, I don't live there. But at least I see it. I know I've got the hood on. I'm trying to raise the hood. Did you know the hood is movable? I don't know if you noticed that. You, you can raise it. When you're training, you're like this. Okay? But you can raise it like that. You see? Now, if you're training and you're flying an instrument approach and you start doing like this, the instructor's probably going to slap your hand, okay? Because he wants you to teach you to, to keep it down to learn that tool. But to learn to see spiritually, you need to learn to lift it up, okay? That's the key, That's and that's not easy. It's easy for me to illustrate it to you, but it's more difficult to actually do it. And we're going to apply this in a minute and hopefully give you some clues on how to do that. All right, now let's talk about the element of God's work. To finish his work. What is the work that Jesus was to finish? What is this all about? Isn't doing the will of God enough? Wouldn't that be enough? Just, okay, I'm just going to do your will. I and mean, we pray for the will of God. How often do we pray to finish his work? By the word, the word finish there come the, comes from uh, the Greek word teleos. And we get the word teleology from that. What's teleology? It's the study of purpose. It's the very essence of purpose. Today, in our culture, we live in a world that's largely been invaded with atheistic thinking. And a great sign of that is the theory of evolution. The theory of evolution is the linchpin of atheism. If you destroy that theory, they have no way to explain the world that we live in. They're driven to be theistic. And therefore, they will, they refuse to give that up. That's one of the reasons that's such a, a massive debate going on between the theist and the atheist over evolution. Because evolutionary theory has no, no options. They have no alternative. They lose that debate, it's over for them. They, they do not have a worldview that's satisfying. They're forced to be theist at that point. By the way, you know there's no advantage to being an atheist. You heard, you heard Stonewall Jackson's famous debate. This is back in the 18... 1850s, he debated. He was a great uh, professor of uh, logic at BMI University, and he had a debate with an atheistic professor. And the debate went like this: uh, Jackson asked the atheistic professor, "Okay, you believe there is no God, so when you die, there is nothing." He says, "That's right." He says, "I believe that there is God, and that when I die, if I've accepted Jesus Christ, I'm going to heaven." Okay, okay. If if you are right, then we're I'm no worse off than you are. But if I'm right, I'm infinitely better off than you are. 
Therefore, there's no advantage in being an atheist. Did you hear that? You say, why do, why do people want to be an atheist? It's called rebellion. That's why they want to be an atheist. The rebellion of Adam and Eve continues among their people. And you do understand we are their descendants. And there's a principle of the universe that was established in Genesis 1. It says that things reproduce after their own kind. It's the way God made the universe to work. So when Adam and Eve reproduced, what was in them got passed on to their kids. That sin that they committed, the sin nature they took on, got passed on to their kids, and we are their kids. So that's why we have the sin nature in us. Okay, so what is this work here that Jesus was to finish? Look at this text there. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. You see, Jesus Christ was the single Savior of the world. There is no other Savior of the world. His specific assignment from the Father that only he had was to bring about the salvation of the people of God. You see, that's where Jesus is different from you and me. John 17, 4 says this. Now, this is before Jesus died. Jesus saying, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, I think this is the definition of success. At the end of my life, and if I'm sitting here before God, what do I want to say? There's only one thing that I think I want to say. I want to say what Jesus said in John 17, 4. Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You see, glorifying God is fulfilling your assignment. Jesus was a man under a mission, a man under assignment, and that's what he did. He brought glory to the Father by completing his assignment. Now, finally, let's look at the spiritual food. He said, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What is the food that Jesus is talking about? Jesus says this when he was hungry, 40 days fasting. He was undoubtedly tired and thirsty too. Again, you notice how he gets into these situations? Very uncomfortable situations where most of us would say, you know, I'm too tired to do that. I can't do this. I mean, I just got to go find some food or I got to go rest or I got to go get some water. Isn't that what we say? Okay, well, this is what he does. When he's tempted, and his temptation was about his identity. By the way, that's when the enemy is going to attack your identity is when you're down. He said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, to Jesus, spiritual food was more important than physical food. How many of us, if, uh, if the budget gets tight and we really, really got a cut, we start looking down all the budgetary items, assuming you have a budget. I trust you all have a budget, Okay. And you start saying, well, I just cut this, cut that. But what you don't cut is what? Food. And you probably didn't cut dining out. And you probably didn't cut entertainment. Okay? But you cut everything else. Because, see, we have the blinders on. Mm, We only see in the natural. We do not see what's really going on about us. Well, Jesus didn't live that way. Jesus, to him, the most important thing was spiritual food. And spiritual food to him was obeying the Father. 
doing his will, his way, and completing his assignment. Spiritual food is so powerful that it can even satisfy physical needs. Have you ever had that experience? You know, I, I like to use my wife as an illustration here. She can be, uh, she can come home. She she uh, runs a Christian private school, and she can come home and be tired, just totally exhausted. You know, she gets up at four in the morning. You know why she gets up at four in the morning, don't you? Well, she gets up at four so she can exercise, and so then she can have a quiet time, and she can eat breakfast, and she can change clothes five times. So she can find just the right outfit, okay? So she can leave at 7 o'clock to go to pray, okay? How many of you leave at 7 to go to pray at 7.30 before your work day? How many of you, who does that? Anybody? Okay, well, there might be an example there for you because work is spiritual activity. And if you're going to do spiritual activity, you need spiritual help. So start your day in prayer. It's a great idea, okay? Spiritual food is so powerful that it can even satisfy physical needs. Well, what she does is she'll be home home after a long day at work, and she'll have an evening activity, maybe a parent thing or a recruiting thing for the school or whatever. She'll be exhausted, but she'll go anyway. And when she comes back, she's energized. Now, it wasn't the food that she may have eaten or the refreshments there. What was it? The spiritual food, because she was on assignment, doing the will of God. When you do the assignment of God, it brings you life. And see, that's, what, that's what's going on here. Is That's one of the keys. Do you, whatever you're doing, if, if what you're doing is bringing you life, that's a good clue that you're doing what God's called you to do. So here's a, here's a scriptural example of how this works. He who pursues righteousness and love finds what? What do you find if you pursue righteousness, which is God's standard of how we should conduct ourselves, and we do it under love, which, please understand, love here is agape love. Agape love is not necessarily an emotional love. It's a love of sacrifice. It's saying, I'm going to do what's in your highest good, and I'm going to pay the price, whatever the price is. That's what agape love is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, Jesus died as an expression of love. See, we need to learn that's what love is, and we need to be willing to die for the will of God as an expression of love. Well, that's what he's talking about, righteousness and love. So if you pursue these things, what do you find? Does it touch the tangible world you live in? Look at the rest of the verse. You find life, prosperity, and honor. You want that? Yeah, we all want that. Well, see, this shows you when you pull up the blinders and you see in the spiritual reality, you see what God is doing, suddenly things are not what you thought they were. That bad situation you were looking at, hey, God's right in the middle of it to accomplish his purpose. You lose your job, God's right there in the middle of it to accomplish his purpose. You got an issue with finances, God is right there to accomplish his purpose. The question is, can you see it? Can you see what God wants to do and line up with him, or are you going to run around with blinders on? Okay, do I need to put it on again so you get it? Okay. All right, so let's apply this. Okay. Say this with me. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. 
Okay, as Christians, are we supposed to live like Jesus? So do you want this? Do you want to live this way? Okay, do you think it might require some changes on your part? That wasn't very resounding. Yes, it's going to require changes for all of us because we all run around with our blinders on. Okay, what's the first thing? Okay, we need to live as people sent. Live as people who have been sent. You know, we keep living like life is just, it's up to us to live our lives. The world tells us you to make whatever you want to make out of your life. That's what the world tells us. That is the lie that is a byproduct of the evolutionary theory. We need to recognize we have been created by God. Every person in this room has value and dignity because God made you. That's why everybody counts. That's why everybody's important. In some ways, I don't like being up here on this elevated podium because it gives you the wrong impression. It might make you think that I am more important. I am not more important than anybody. Everybody in this room has equal value before God because we all are created in the image of God and we are all people on assignment. So we have got to get it. We have been sent. I like to use the Mission Possible theme song as kind of a picture. You guys seen the movie Mission Impossible? You know, it's it's got a theme song, a very, very, you know, distinctive theme song. kind of jazzes you up. Imagine getting up every day and you said, Father, I'm here for my mission impossible. Your assignment today. Wouldn't that be a great way to start the day? To give you some energy in life? To know I'm on assignment from God today to do his will. So that's the first thing we have to do. The second thing we have to do is to live to do the will of God, which means live righteously. And then I've got BWV. What does that mean? Very good. Biblical worldview. If you don't have a biblical worldview, you will never live righteously because you will be making decisions like the world. Because the default worldview is, is a pagan worldview. If you don't consciously learn a biblical worldview, you will continually live in, in pagan thinking. And most people that walk through the, the doors of churches, and it doesn't matter where I go to speak, it's the same thing. We all tend to think if we come to church, then I'll learn a biblical worldview. Well, you'll learn some biblical worldview, but if you're going to learn something really well, you know, you've got to go work at it. If I'm going to teach you how to fly, uh, you're not going to learn that just by coming to church. Although it's a good place to start because God made the principles of aeronautics. But then you've got to go out and learn how to do it. You've got to apply yourself. See, this is what we're talking about. Apply yourself to learn a biblical worldview. Jesus lived a biblical worldview. Now, let me just give you some examples of this, and I'm going to characterize this as a general will of God. We're called to do the will of God. Well, here's a general will of God, meaning that everyone is under the same mandate. Okay? It's general in that sense. Well, I'm just going to give you some examples of where Scripture specifically says these things are the will of God. Okay? You can look up these verses, and you will find it says specifically these are the will of God. Are you ready for this? Okay. All right. I'm not... We don't have time to go through in detail, so I'm just going to give them to you real quickly. I'm going to trust you're going to look them up at your own and, and give some thought to these. The first one is be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's not an option. It is the will of God that you be filled with the Holy Spirit. How about this one? Grow and mature spiritually. If you're alive, one of the signs that you're alive is that you were growing. Growing things change. Change is a mark of growth. That's not an option. You're charged to grow. Give thanks in all things. 
Yes, even those things you don't like. That employer that's giving you a hard time. Maybe the spouse that's giving you a difficult time or the child. You give thanks in everything. And that requires taking the blinders off because if I'm just looking here with the blinders on, all I see is the bad. I can't see what God is doing. How about this one? Submit to God's priorities. No, wait a minute. We're getting a little far here. I mean, I do want to decide where I go on vacation, right? It's up to me, okay? And I want to decide what entertainment I want to watch. And if I want season tickets to the Cowboys, that's up to me, right? That's how we think. We want to put God over here and say, okay, God, we're going to let you kind of direct some things. But over here, these are mine. These are all mine. Guess what? That's not the way Jesus lived. Jesus lived where everything was about the Father. Every decision was about discerning the will of God. There was no nothing he held back. Persevere. Why do you think we might need to persevere? Because it's hard. It's hard. It's not easy. You know, we come here, we gather as believers in various venues, whether it's in this this meeting or in life groups or other settings, to encourage one another because the journey is challenging. So we've got to know perseverance is a big part of it. It is a command of God. It's his will that we persevere. It's his will that we suffer for doing good. Paul said the last verse of Philippians chapter 1, it's been given to you not only to believe on Christ, but also to what? Suffer for his sake. Now, that doesn't preach very well, okay? That, that sends people out the back doors. Well, you can take it up with the Apostle Paul and, and the Lord when you get to heaven, but this is what he said. He has called us to live a life of suffering, if need be, to honor him, to obey the commandments he's given us, and to do our specific assignments. How about silence the foolish by doing good? I don't know about you, but foolish, I just want to slap them, you know what I mean? Take care of them. You know, rain down fire from heaven on those people because of what they did to me. That's how I think. You know, well, we're called to, to silence them by doing good. You know, it does, have you ever seen anybody silenced by doing good? You know, when they do something that's just obnoxious and just terrible, and you respond in a way they totally did not expect, it disarms them, doesn't it? They don't know what to do. I mean, and and they, they generally back off. Well, this is what Jesus is saying. We've got to be willing to sacrifice. How about submit your plans to the will of God? Hmm. By the way, the context of this verse is talking about business plans. Who here has done a business plan, written out a business plan? How many people have? A good 20 or 30 of you. Now, when you got through writing down that business plan, did you dedicate that plan to the Lord and submit it to his will? You didn't, did you? Well, I just did four planning sessions this past a week before last up in Canada, and every one of them, one of them was for an individual, one of them was for a company, one was for a church, and one was for a ministry, very similar to care center, did four of them in one week. And let me tell you, I don't recommend that. That's, you came back, well, I told them, I said, you rode me hard and put me up wet. They didn't understand what that meant up in Canada. <laughs> so it's a lot, took a lot out of me. Not to mention the fact I did, I preached on Sunday and I did two seminars. So when I came back, in fact, when I got on the airplane to come back, before the pushback had even started, I was snoring. And I woke myself up snoring and apologizing to all my neighbors in <laughs> that airplane. I was very tired. But, you know, it was <clears throat> what I did at the end of each of the planning sessions was we submitted that plan to the will of God. We said we looked at John 4, 
uh, James 4, and we read that text, and we said, look, we have sought to discern the will of God for this organization. That's all we've been doing. Now what we want to do is submit it to the will of God and say, not our will, but thy will be done. This is the commandments that we're called to live under. Then we, have, we need to be willing to obey authority. There is no authority that exists that God has not ordained. Even dysfunctional authority, there's a purpose. When you have the blinders off, you can see it. At least you can have faith for it. But if you don't have the blinders off, then you'll wander around confused and dis, dis, uh, you're basically looking at it like the world. Okay, so that's the general will of God. So let's look at the specific will of God. Does God have a specific assignment for you, just like he did Jesus? Jesus had a specific assignment. It wasn't your assignment. It wasn't my assignment. It was his assignment. Do you have an assignment from God? A specific thing you're supposed to do. Well, this is what this text seems to suggest. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We all know this text fairly well. It's a very clear explanation of the gospel. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There's no one that can boast before God. No one has enough merit in and of themselves to stand before God. Our standing is because of Jesus Christ. Now, why are we saved? Are we saved to populate heaven? Maybe it's a fire insurance policy, so if I do something wrong, I'm still okay. It's kind of like a safety net. Okay? Why am I saved? What's the point? What's verse 10 say? It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now that word work there is the same word for work that's used in John 17, 4, when Jesus is telling us the great definition of success. It's the same word for work in John 4, verse 34. And that word work is ergon, and it refers to all kinds of work. Whatever your work is, is included in the definition. What he's saying is, whatever workplace assignment you have, he wants you to do it well because he's ordained you to do it. And by the way, you know good is an attribute of God. You know that, don't you? Because we know that from the interaction with the rich young ruler. When the rich young ruler said, a good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, wait a minute, there's none good but God. Why do you call me good? He's wanting to know, do you really understand you've called me God? When you said good master, you called me God. See, so when we put good as an adjective describing something, we're saying it lines up with God. So we have been ordained to do good works in the workplace, works that line up with God, our specific assignment, because he's created us just like the potter creates a vessel. Have you ever watched a potter work? The potter cannot produce the same vessel twice exactly. You, you say he's going to produce a glass, uh, like an eight-ounce uh, glass of some sort, and he can try the best as possible to reproduce that, that pottery. He can't exactly do it. Years ago, my wife got some a pottery collection for dishes, and the reason she got it was it was pottery, and every one of them was different. And I said, Carol, why are you getting these? They don't, they don't match. There's something wrong here. I mean, you, you expect them all to be the same. They don't match. Well, it's the uniqueness that she was seeing, and that's the way the Father looks. He looks at the uniqueness that he's put in each one of us, and that's, that's a clue to what he's called us to do. So the question for you is, do you know the specific 
plan of God for your life? What is the specific will of God for you? Now, if you're honest, most of you say, well, probably don't. Probably don't. But that's okay. There's hope. Because you can find it. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's our glory to search it out. We can find the specific will of God if we're willing to pay the price in time and resources to discover it. You can do that. And that's the only way you're ever going to live like Jesus lived. You can go try to make up your own life. It isn't going to work very well. Or you can decide to truly be a Christian and live like Jesus did under the complete submission to the will of God, doing the work assignment God gave him to do. And that's the charge we all have. So my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish, complete his work. So as Christians, we are charged to live as one sent by God, doing the general will of God, living righteously according to a biblical worldview, and to to do the specific will of God, which is to finish our specific work assignments. And when we do that, and we do it with integrity, we will enjoy physical satisfaction from our spiritual food. Do you want that? you really want that? Come on, convince me that you want it. That's the only way to live as a Christian. If you're living any other way, you're just winding up capitulating to the world. I, I don't want that, and I know you don't. So may the Lord give us the grace to walk out this reality. I'm going to pray for you, and then I want to share something else real quickly. Father, I just want to commit to you the message of John 4, 34 today to the people here in this place, to this community of believers that profess Jesus Christ. Give us the grace to live as sent people. Give us the grace to live according to your worldview. The the word of God, may it be our light and our guide. And give us the grace to find our specific assignments. And Lord, give us the grace to enjoy the food of obeying you. Father, let that be our portion. May it richen us and, and go deep within us and bring transforming change in our lives. So, Father, we can commit ourselves to you and say, Lord, not our will, but your will be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.